0: The Fontenelle Final Bell Podcast is presented by Fontenelle Hybrids. The solutions you need. The relationships you trust. It's time for the Fontenelle Final Bell on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Clay Patton in for Susan Littlefield today talking the trade. Mike Zuzalo, Global Commodity Analytics. Mike, as we take a look here, a mixed day, almost opposite of what we saw a day ago for the grains. Corn slightly lower, Kansas City wheat slightly lower as well. Chicago wheat and soybeans, though, both ending in the green. As we start here, let's focus on the soybeans. Having a reversal somewhat from yesterday's direction, but really they stayed within inside Monday's ranges. So was this this possible profit-taking?
1: Yeah, I think it was spread trading, Clay, and I think it was profit-taking. You know, one of the things that I wrote about in my weekly brief to clients and subscribers Uh, This weekend has been this trend in the trade going into President Trump and President Xi meeting at the end of the month uh, ahead of the G20 meeting. The idea that headline news is really pushing us in terms of price action. And, you know, typically you have a lot, in my opinion, a lot of uh, spread trading price action because it's heavily involved with the funds and especially the funds that, that work the CTA or me- mechanized trade commodity trading advisors they tend to you know use the spreads quite a bit uh one because it reduces their margin and two they're trying to look for ways uh to balance uh, some other positions and the market's so interconnected nowadays that spreads are almost a natural uh feature to uh, how traders in, in the mechanized automated world look at the markets and so Today, I think we had a situation where the headline news coming off the planting uh, progress for wheat, the harvest progress for corn and beans helped support the beans especially, and along with that were uh, simultaneous cancellations of corn sales uh, noted by USDA this morning uh, by unknown and, and also new purchases of soybeans. And so I think these two major features were the two headline drivers, And I noticed, and we talked about it at midday with Dewey, about the fact that we also saw some real spread unwinding against the hogs and the soybeans because that had been such a strong feature on Monday. Uh, We saw that really unwind itself where the hogs fell dramatically and the beans rallied. I think actually the break in the hogs actually helped push the beans up more uh, at certain t- times of the day, then maybe fundamentally they were justified to go. Why were the hogs being taken down? I think a lot of it has to do with the stock market and the crude oil and the overall mindset that we may be going into a slower economic uh, cycle here, not just in, in the world, but uh, also the United States getting caught up in it as well.
0: Talking about other market fundamentals surrounding the soybeans, made mention of this on your midday commentary, Mike, but the fact that we still have several hundred million, even in the neighborhood of 400 million bushels of uncut beans still out in the field. Overall, how does that affect the global spreadsheet?
1: Yeah, this is where it goes back to the USDA giving us you know, a pretty substantial carryover of what was 122 million, I believe, for world carryover in last month's report. But if you take a look at where we're at in terms of uh, going into 2019 for the United States, you have two things going on that could trim those world carryover levels, and that not even including what may happen with the uh, with the weather in South America, but you could have a situation where the yield in the January final report for 1819 is cut, so that your ending stocks for this current year go down. Uh, you could have a situation also, I think, and this is something again I, I addressed and kind of laid the groundwork for in my weekly update. Um, when I do my value-level analysis of what I think is overvalued and undervalued for each commodity, I'm assuming 84.5 million planted soybean acres for 2019-2020, Clay, and I'm not nearly as high as maybe what the USDA is thinking, in, uh, or excuse me, as low as what the USDA is thinking, um, with the idea that the, the trade's going to go way back to corn or farmers are going to go way back to corn and, and build corn acres. And so if I use a little bit bigger bean acreage planting, but I also cut my yield back almost two bushels for this current marketing year, all of a sudden you're talking about using maybe a 50.5 national yield for next year. Your carryover hovering and staying around the 800, 820 million bushel level. And so that brings you back into a focus of, okay, we're moving away from the billion bushel carryover. It's kind of like corn, and when we move over a 2 billion versus when we move below a 1.5 billion, I would say the same thing with the soybeans, especially with these trade sanctions starting to pull uh, and, and tighten their grip around us in terms of lowering demand. So you've got maybe the possibility in the trade thinking a billion bushel carryover, but now all of a sudden maybe next year we tighten that up to where it's below 800 million bushels or right around 800 million bushels. That tends to keep the new sellers out of the market until they know more.
0: From beans to wheat, Mike, as we take a look, the emergence rate in Kansas and Oklahoma, Missouri, some of your key wheat-growing areas, the emergence is very, very poor this year. That puts quite a bit of pressure on good growing conditions this spring. Is America, is the U.S., is that about to be the next fodder for the wheat weather bowl?
1: I think it has to be in terms of why we have not been able to rally has been because of demand and the lack of appreciation for what the weather did to us last year, Clay, and the lack of appreciation for what the weather is doing to Europe and what they did, to, what it did to Australia. In other words, what I'm getting at is the trade still believes that supplies are outstripping demand right now. And you can't argue that after the weekly export inspections, just year-to-date to go through the three major commodities. Wheat's down 18% year-to-date after this week. Corn exports up 80% year-to-date in inspections down 43%. So wheat certainly doesn't look as bad as uh, soybeans, but the, the trade still hasn't turned that corner of saying, okay, demand is outrunning supply now. I, I think that time is coming, and I think the seasonality is coming, and I think it was the global grain head for ADM said last week in an interview that uh, he felt like that we would pick up the pace in the United States wheat exports because of the sheer lack of of competition around the world and I see that happening too. I think the big number to watch in, in terms of me and, and, and trying to put together a chart and a technical point that would suggest the trade is turning that corner to where it thinks demand's getting better relative to supply is that two hundred month moving average. That has been such a key player for the last seven, eight months. And we closed below it last month uh, on a closing basis and so now we're testing the five dollar handle. That 200-month moving average is right around that five and a quarter, that major resistance level we've had to face ever since the spike high what, back in July-August time period. So that that's kind of the number I'm watching. If we hold five as December goes into uh, delivery, first notice day on November 30th, we get through 525 as December goes off the board, I think then the market's making an adjustment.
0: Mike Zuzalo, Global Commodity Analytics, joining us on the Fontenelle Final Bell. More coming up. Welcome back to the Fontenelle Final Bell on the Rural Radio Network. Again, Clay Patton in for Susan Littlefield. Mike Zuzalo, Global Commodity Analytics, joining us to talk, talk the trade today. In our last segment, Mike, we focused a lot on the grains. Let's turn to the outside markets who have just seen hard selling the last two days, really just a risk-off environment. A lot of this coming on the heels of what some are saying is a global economic slowdown. But, Mike, you're kind of looking at deflationary issues, so let's look at the mechanics of what's going on right now with the world economy.
1: Yeah, and I think we can wrap this ball into one uh, big piece of the puzzle, and that is the currencies. I think what I've come to find in the last 10 years or so of research, Clay, is, is that the interest rates and the stock market are driven more by the currencies than ever before. And and that, I think this is where deflation, simply put, means a dollar that is strengthening against other currencies, and it actually pushes inflation into other countries which is not healthy for the commodity sector. Not only does it make our goods more expensive, priced in U.S. dollars, but it makes our goods more expensive for them in terms of having to pay more in domestic uh, currency. So it's it's kind of like a two-fold hit. And what we're seeing, and I think today was one of the first days that we've seen it in a while, um, we had the midterm election. That tended to bring new life to the dollar. And the market kind of hit pause when it came to the equities and when it came to the currencies waiting for more new information. And today with the equity markets falling, you know, pretty sharply. And as we talk, uh, we're down about 57 or 60 points in the S&P. We're down over 600 points in the Dow futures. Uh, this is where the dollar has become once again a safe haven currency investors are flocking into the dollar and buying it. This is not what we want. We want a dollar that is weakening, especially against the Chinese currency. And it's the dollar and the Chinese currency that I'm most focused upon the next two weeks, going into the end of November. I'd simply put like a sell signal in the dollar and a buy signal in the Chinese currency. If we get that on a technical basis, I'm assuming it's going to be because we've improved the trade situation enough because of the G20 and the two presidents of the two largest economies of the world talking in in a manner that looks like we're going to come out of this and not go into any worse situation when it comes to trade sanctions. And so that's really where it's at right now with the slowdown. I think, simply put, this market is finally starting in equities to price in what the commodity market's been pricing in for six or eight or nine months, if not the last two years, and that is a deflationary bias like you're talking about.
0: And then when we t- look at the commodity sector, we haven't talked livestock yet. You know, live cattle, feeder cattle—they somewhat reflect what happens in the equities in those outside markets. And today we see a little bit of a sell-off, but really cattle are kind of holding their own against a very volatile outside market.
1: Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because we have seen several uh, reports, uh, in, in not in a row, but pretty consistently that the beef exports in particular are really humming along nicely in 2018, and that's especially important when you have 11.5, roughly, million head of cattle on feed, and it's a record in the USDA's book. Uh, So tomorrow's cattle on feed report is extremely important to not building supplies. The last numbers I looked at from USDA with cattle on feed over 150 days, we are falling seasonally like we normally do. We are very close to the five year average between 2013 and 2017 and we're just a little bit below uh, 2016's cattle on feed over 150 days. This is all good news going into the seasonals and going into the winter time, especially if we get a little bit of winter weather. So I'm encouraged that the fat cattle and the feeder cattle can find some rallies that we can get some hedges in place. But I think they are markets that you essentially want to hedge on overvalue levels. And my overvalue level right now for uh, April fat cattle is closer to that 125 level. And so if I can get up into that 125 level, uh, 125.50 in uh, April fat cattle, I think that's an area that you'd want to get some hedges laid in as long as you were making a profit. Your feeder cattle you bought weren't too uh, expensive at the time you bought them. So, you know, this is a time period where I'm eager to see A market that finds support, but I realize that the outside markets, as you say, could be uh, detrimental to how high we could run. A good number for me tomorrow would be an on-feed number for November 1st, near the low end of the Reuters trade range of 103. Placements around 100%, right in the middle of the range, um, would be a real good number as well.
0: And when we talk about, we're talking about in the grain side, we talk about spreads and some of the mechanic traders that take a look here and how everything is interconnected. We see someone winding between potential soybean hog spreads. We've talked about before a live cattle hog spread as well. Could traders somewhat see this as an advantage to buy live cattle to continue selling those hog contracts?
1: Unlikely with African swine fever. And this is this is a great question because the cattle hog spread is actually near its three year highs right now. You've had some spikes higher than $60 uh, ahead cattle minus hogs for lead month futures, but we're still trading around $57 clay and that's still towards the top end of the range high. And so I think it's probably more likely to see the opposite effect where the hogs want to try and rally before the cattle do. Um, especially if we go into China's lunar new year in February with African swine fever still in some of the major producing areas. And I say that because I've done a lot of research in the last two months on African swine fever and where it's at and, and as you get into the southern parts of China, that's their big pork consumption areas. That's also their pork production areas. And you've got to push those live cogs to different provinces. And you're talking hundreds and maybe in cases, some cases thousands of miles away if you're going from southern China up to Beijing or some other uh, multi-million population city, you're talking about a large, large transport of live animals that may be infected. And Now that we know they're in the wild boars in that country and they're in the wild boars in Eastern Europe, you become a lot more concerned about the pork production for 2019. So I actually think the spreads are set up for the hogs to support the cattle, maybe the best we've seen since uh, 2016.
0: Again, Mike Zuzalo, Global Commodity Analytics. You can learn more by visiting Mike's website, globalanalytics.biz. That's globalanalytics.biz. This is the Fontenelle Final Bell on the Rural Radio Network.